Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. When you look at our mission to help people find the healthiest version of themselves through the power of this upcycled fruits and vegetables, it allows us to also do better for the planet. So thus making both healthy choices and climate impact more accessible. Hello and welcome to Our Impact. I'm your host, Jeremy K. Spear. This show explores what our impact is, what we can do about it, and how we can help scale positive outcomes and solutions. We'll be learning from people doing strong work across nonprofits, academia, business, and sport to connect the dots and find ways we can all take action. This show is as a result of my own searching. A few years ago, I measured my carbon footprint for the first time, and I realized how my travel as a professional beach volleyball player is actually at odds with the positive impact I'm striving to have. I wanted to act, but it wasn't clear where to begin. I've made a number of changes since then, but I'm still learning more every day. I hope you find these conversations useful and that the ideas we explore might help you take action in your own life and community. This episode is brought to you by Mir. The reason I partner with Mir is that they make beautiful products I enjoy using day to day and traveling, which helps me cut down on single use plastic. I can't tell you how nice it is to have their Thermo 3D vacuum insulated bottles keep my water ice cold the whole day when I'm at the beach training or competing. My favorites for the beach and travel are the 42 ounce wide mouth water bottle for hydration, the 20 ounce travel tumbler for coffee, and the food canister that I pack my son's school lunches in. Aside from making awesome drinkware, they've earned B Corp, 1% for the planet and climate neutral certifications. So you know they're taking transparent action to have a positive social and environmental impact. And if that was enough, every mirror product sold helps fund nonprofit partners working at the intersection of communities and the environment. There's literally a giving code on every product, so you can look up Mir's impact made possible by your support. Go to mir.com and use Casebeer20 to receive 20% off your order. This episode is brought to you by Rise Brewing Co. Rise makes my favorite nitro cold brew coffee and provides energy for good people to do good things. If I'm at home, I start my day with Rise's original black nitro cold brew with their oat milk, or if I'm heading to the beach to train or surf, I'll take a mocha or vanilla latte with me. The best part is that Rise is 100% USDA certified organic. The oat milk Rise makes is tasty and impactful. Farming oats uses about six times less land than farming dairy and six times less water than farming almonds. I've been working to shift towards a plant-based diet, but I'm not perfect and it's definitely a process. Rise makes it easier for me because I can swap half and half for Rise's tasty plant-based oat milk and I'm supporting certified organic farmers, all while enjoying delicious nitro coffee. Head to Rise Brewing Co. and use Jeremy's C15 for 15% off your order and free shipping. My guest today is Amy Keller. Amy is the founder of Pure Plus and the climate candy, Faves. Amy has a really interesting background. She's worked in politics, corporate America, and the nonprofit sector, and she's also a seven-time Ironman athlete. Her family owns the Spangler Candy Company, known for nostalgic candy like Dum Dum Lollipops. In our conversation, we explore how Paul Hawkins' book, Drawdown, helps her connect her family's background in candy with her experience as an Ironman athlete and to the novel idea of Faves, making candy into a climate solution. Faves is made from upcycled whole fruits and vegetables, which helps reduce food waste and greenhouse gas emissions, helps farmers sell more of their crops, and helps people live healthier lives with each pack of Faves, delivering one whole serving of fruit and vegetables. As always, if you have any feedback, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, because I'm always looking to improve. And if you enjoy this conversation, please consider sharing it with a friend. Amy Keller, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited to speak with you. Absolutely. So excited. Yeah. 
So there's a lot we're going to get into, but I figured a good place to start would be with your founder story with Faves. What is the idea that you came up with and how did you decide to turn imperfect fruit and vegetables into climate candy? Well, so I come from sugar. I know. What does that mean? <laughs> so my, my family owns a candy factory, Spangler Candy Company, and we sell two billion Dum Dum lollipops every year along with every nostalgic candy you could imagine made out of sugar, from Necco wafers to sweethearts to circus peanuts, candy canes. Um, but my career has been working on environmental initiatives to save the planet, especially around live earth with my co-founder, Kevin Wall. Um, so that's one side of me. But then the other side is I've been very focused on health and well-being as a seven-time Ironman and ultramarathoner in which nutrition is very much a part of those sports. Um, but those two worlds collided uh, on a life-changing journey uh, when I went to the Global Seed Vault in Svalbard, Norway with my co-founders. And at the time, I was even reading Paul Hawkins' book, Drawdown, and while out there in the Arctic Circle, we came up with Pure Plus. And it was the idea that we'd form a company that would illuminate the power of fruits and vegetables to restore the health of people on the planet. And I think for me, I just determined a long time ago that whatever business I started, it had to make a contribution to the world and make a positive impact on people's lives and health. And I think what we're doing with Pure Plus is definitely something that will have a long-standing and, and really meaningful role in the cultural revolution and health of people on the planet. I love that. And you mentioned uh, Project Drawdown, which has been pretty instrumental in my uh, journey to work to have an impact in sport, which we'll get into in a second. But what is the central question that you're working on with Faves and what are some of the co-benefits that Faves is? Well, I think, you know, with Faves, we consider it climate candy. It's made from upcycled fruits and vegetables. So we're setting out to solve this climate crisis by preventing food waste, which is the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases. So we upcycle perfectly good fruits and vegetables to create a candy that's good for people on the planet. So I think when you look at our mission to help people find the healthiest version of themselves, through the power of this upcycled fruits and vegetables, it allows us to also do better for the planet. So thus making both healthy choices and climate impact more accessible. I think you look at faves and it's like, okay, if you buy that box of faves, you're saving six carrots, three beets, one sweet potato, half a squash, half a pumpkin, right? And, and these are ways for people to understand like that serving is also fruits and vegetables because only one in 10 do get their five to eight servings every day. So I think when you look at the rise of health concerns like obesity and diabetes, that really has inhibited the candy market. And I think people see sugar-free and low-calorie candies that are trying to tackle the situation. But as an athlete, I look at food as fuel. So if I'm looking at these, you know, 100-calorie zeroed-out labels, that's not something I'm going to eat. So I wanted to make something that's just replacing the sugar and fillers. And I think the market is definitely ripe for that. And we definitely have differentiated it. But this is not just selling of a product. It's more focused on like just being innovative and differentiated. And especially during right now, the COP26 in Glasgow, to really focus in on the local farms and talk about the procurement of imperfect produce and 
what would have ended up in landfill or not used for human consumption. So I think, you know, the reason why we've built this is just to make it accessible in U.S. households and talk more about uh, climate change. Yeah. And that was one thing that was so, I guess, eye-opening for me when I started uh, reading Project Drawdown. I didn't understand the role that food and agriculture has on emissions and the environment. As you mentioned, if food and agriculture was a country, it'd be the third largest emitter behind the U.S. and China. And I think in the U.S., it's up to 40% doesn't make it from the farm to fork. It's wasted either in transit or at the store, or people end up throwing it away, which is kind of mind-boggling. And another wild stat from Project Drawdown is that the global economic, environmental, and social cost of food waste is estimated at $2.6 trillion. And that reducing food waste can also help close the gap 60% between the food we have today and what we'll need in 2050. Oh, yeah. It's an enormous footprint. And I think that what Wasting Less Food presents is a key opportunity to address climate change. I think, you know, for people to understand that the way we eat and produce food is this significant contributor to climate change. And just like you said, with that wastage, it's lost at every stage of the distribution chain. So as people are learning about the supply chain of food and learning about supply chains overall, because they're not receiving their orders as fast as they used to during this time, I think it's understanding farm to grocery stores, to restaurants, to manufacturers and in the home. There's so many causes, whether it be the spoilage or the transportation to economic limitation. It really is needless waste at the same time as starvation. And the same time as only, like I said, one in 10 are getting their five to eight servings of fruits and vegetables every day. And as a plant-based athlete myself, I just think there's so many benefits um, in making sure that you you get your servings. Yeah. And I love how Faves does it. So Faves is basically, I guess the comparison to traditional candy is similar to a Starburst. And I've tried it. It's delicious. My son loves it. You mentioned the berries preventing people from consuming enough fruits and vegetables. As an athlete myself, that's one thing that I'm trying to do a better job of. When I was younger, I could basically play beach volleyball and side out on burritos. But now as I'm getting a little bit older, I have to really be smart. And, you know, in a busy day, it's not easy to cook healthy, well-balanced meals. And the idea of replacing candy or a treat with something that actually helps you get your serving of fruits and vegetables is pretty incredible. What are some of the other barriers that you think that faves can address in getting fruits and vegetables? And then also, what is stealth nutrition? Well, it's something that we we came up with, right? Where we were just like, this is something where it's it's hidden inside, right? So saying faves, that's actually an acronym for fruit and vegetable sweets. So for us that are older, we say, yes, we know exactly what that is. But for kids, they just think it's their fave treat, right? And I think that when you look at the fact that people are missing out on essential vitamins, minerals, and fiber that fruits and vegetables provide, I think it's very similar to like what you just said. It's, you know, everything from what people perceive as high cost or limited availability in some of these food deserts where access is not possible with perishables, and then the perceived lack of cooking or prep time. They can all be barriers to, to fruit and vegetable consumption. So the way I look at it is, 
you know, great that I'm selling direct to consumer. Great that we're in e-commerce because that's the way we could tell the story here in LA, California, right? But when it's in retail market, you know, when I tell these stores that they want it nationally, I say, listen, I don't want to be in the candy aisle. I don't want to be at the checkout, like all the normal brands. I want to be put next to the beets, carrots, squash, sweet potato. And, you know, executives definitely fall over and say, well, well that doesn't make any sense. And I say, well, that's an educational moment. That's where then yes. you know, kids and adults can understand, oh, this, that was inside my feed, right? Because kids today, they don't understand. They just think the food comes from the grocery store in bags and boxes. And I want them to understand that what, you know, seed to market, what their food is made out of. When you look at faves, it's one year, but actually one and a half year um, shelf stability. And then the powers that we made in red, orange, green, and purple are color lines that then go into product to replace sugar to filler. That has two to three year shelf life. So when we're taking the produce that are the 20% that goes unharvested from the farms, now all of a sudden you're taking a perishable and you're allowing it to have shelf life up to three years. So it's crazy, right? So it really gives that opportunity of addressing that production and distribution side where two thirds of food waste occurs. Yeah, and it's also an extra revenue stream for the farmers, right? Because so much imperfect produce doesn't get sold, it gets wasted, it goes into landfills. So you're through your supply chain and through your partners, you're actually paying farmers for food that would not be bought. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they finally get a full harvest, right? Because that imperfect is not being purchased by the groceries. So now all of a sudden, we're able to extend the food supply and prevent waste. And then we're able to focus on consumers and say, listen, people can be fed and nutrition will improve and there'll be far less stress on our agricultural resources, our urban landfills and the global environment overall. Yeah. And there's also a big movement towards obviously organic food and products people are obviously aware of more aware of what they're putting in their body and even the other healthy candies add a bunch of weird sweeteners and are not all natural yeah i mean i think that when we look at the vegetables that we chose you know beets carrots um as a vegan plant-based athlete myself you know i find that those do have that sugar kick um and that you know we truly are a plant-based vegan-based candy so i think that's that definitely differentiated us that we have replaced the fillers and sugars in that Starburst chew, in that, you know, whatever we make down the line, because we've got a lot of form factors from our, our candy factory coming out next year, that it's replacing what a lot of the manufacturers, when they make something machinable um, and they get able to run through 100 foot long equipment and be able to run these huge run rates of like, can we get up to 6,000 dum-dum lollipops a minute, right? Like my mm -hmm. family does. Can we get to that point of having that so that we can distribute really wide? And also the fact that, as you mentioned, self-nutrition, the fact that you could literally swap faves with XYZ candy and kids, adults, you couldn't tell the difference. That's how tasty it is. And that's what's ultimately going to lead to it to scale and be widely adopted. I mean, it's an $80 billion global market in candy. And it's 12 billion wow. in the U.S. So I think it's just really something that hasn't been disrupted. And there's definitely, it's high time that we, we do. Um, we just love being the, the first one to come out with this climate candy. This episode is brought to you by Caldera Lab. Caldera Lab is a certified B Corp, makes high-performance skincare by combining pharmaceutical-grade science with nature's most potent ingredients. 
Finally, a skincare routine that uses non-toxic, sustainable ingredients and actually works. In high school, I got a nasty sunburn that literally burnt the pigment out of my skin and left me with a surprisingly symmetrical two-tone mustache that led to my nickname, the Lorax. I've been playing beach volleyball professionally for over a decade, using sunscreen every day, and have spent more time in the sun than I care to think about. I can't tell you how damn happy I am to have a simple and effective daily routine to leave my skin feeling healthy and help offset all the exposure and damage that can come with playing beach volleyball. I use their three-product regimen daily. The Clean Slate is a balancing cleanser I use in the shower, the base layer is a light moisturizer I use every morning, and the Good is an antioxidant-packed face serum I put on before bed every night. The regimen is backed by a clinical trial with real people and 100% of participants reported healthier-looking skin. So I'm not alone when I say this stuff actually works. I love Caldera Labs' mission and products, so I want to share a special discount of 20% off for our impact listeners. Go to calderalab.com slash casebeer or use the discount code casebeer at checkout. That's C-A-L-D-E-R-A-L-A-B.com slash casebeer. And one idea I'm working to better understand myself is strategy over tactics or focusing on the right thing first and foremost, so your strategy, and then executing it well through tactics. Obviously, the idea to build a climate candy from fruit and vegetables is pretty innovative and there's nothing else like it around. What were some of the early questions you're facing and where did you focus your priorities and then how did you execute? Well, I mean, as a company, we're about people helping people and the planet, right? So the health of people is reflective of the health of the planet. So we don't make a product unless it will deliver a real benefit and is truly sustainable. So I think when you look at like our overall goal, it's always huge. It's like thinking about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, right? I don't know how to think small. So I'm like, okay, we will upcycle 2.2 million imperfect fruits and vegetables from local farms. And every year after that, double the amount saved from going to landfill. So it's like we think like those big, huge goals. And then we also think about polarizing topics. So we're like, okay, health, environmental impact, climate change. So Pure Plus is set to conquer all three via one platform, which is candy. So, you know, candy is nostalgic for every person. And I think that each decade can be defined by a different candy revolution. So Faves is really this thing where we're set out to be the nostalgic candy of a generation of people that are more aware than ever that what they put in their body matters and have more access to information than ever before, right? Yes. So I think... That's, that's what I see is that we'll be that suite that can be an entry point to everything from malnutrition, the environment, sustainability, and impact. So we've set our goals very high, and then you just you build tactics and KPIs and metrics to get yourself there. And so I've always been one that even as an entrepreneur, I looked at the exit strategy first and mm-hmm. then built the business model around it to be able to hit our different goals. And Faith seems like you're obviously flipping the idea of candy on its head. You're making it from imperfect fruits and vegetables with plenty of co-benefits like stealth nutrition, which we mentioned, the food waste and helping to alleviate food deserts. Seems like an upstream solution in a lot of ways. Do you see any other opportunities for upstream solutions in food and agriculture? Or is your primary goal working to raise awareness through Faves as a climate candy and help to scale it? Yeah, I think that, you know, food is the single strongest lever to optimize human health and environmental sustainability on the planet. We're finding that right now during the COP26 in Glasgow. 
you know, food waste is a global problem. And like you said, it costs us economically a trillion dollars per year. So when I look at food wastage and that steep environmental and social price, I look at it more for like what's also lost due to natural resource usage. So I just see it as a market inefficiency and it does not persist in other industries. So when I look at the fact that fruits and vegetables are the most wasted product and have the highest climate impact, that's where I want to focus in. I want to minimize the environmental impact by putting these fruits and vegetables to use. And I'm diverting that wastage to reduce environment impact and cost. So I think what Pure Plus is doing with our powder lines and then putting it into a product like Faves, that's the most powerful thing to do. You know, food solutions are more powerful than energy in reversing global warming. So I think that uh, the more that I focus on this, the more that we can change things for other industries and other companies, see us as a proof of concept and go for it. You know, I, I'd rather be a model uh, just like the Elon Musk of the world, right? With Tesla, where it's like more electric cars now are coming out. The big automobile companies are doing it. So why can't I get the Nestle's, Mondelez's, Hershey's and others to come along for the ride? Yes. And obviously coming with such an innovative product and basically creating a startup from the ground up. How do you think about collaborations? It seems like with such a unique supply chain and imperfect produce and creating the first candy from fruits and vegetables and then raising awareness through a bunch of different stakeholders. How do you think about collaboration? How have you gone about it? Well, I mean, when you look at some of these businesses, they're losing money and spending money on transporting their waste. So building a network of companies and suppliers to connect us to second tier produce, it just makes sense. You know, they're rejecting the produce and they're looking at it because they're their key demo of consumers. They think they have to have this perfect produce in the grocery store. But I think those standards are very high and approach premium standards so they can satisfy that customer. So even though the consumer that on paper indicates that they will eat unattractive food, you know, CPG or, or uh, grocery stores aren't looking that way. So our definition of fruits and vegetables, is everything that is not considered. So we would coordinate with our partners as they go through the field to market process. And when the balance is upset, more fruits and vegetables are turned away. And that's where Pure Plus comes into the picture. So I think everything we do, we look at collaboration. You know, we're the, the entrepreneur, the, the one that they, they see as the, the research and development arm for a larger company. So, um, you know, why not be the disruptor and have those that already have the, the distribution channels all set up? And work directly with them. Are there any ideas or solutions or facts around health, wellness, diet, environmental, social impact that you think should be getting more attention? Seems like whenever people want to make change or get involved in a project, we get caught up in the minutia without really paying attention to the most important aspects. What solutions or ideas should we be highlighting around climate change, agriculture, food waste? I mean, I think that just making a low carbon lifestyle cool and accessible and pervasive, I think that's going to influence the adoption of climate positive attitudes and behaviors. So I think innovative climate change solutions like FAVES are the preference of the next generation. And I think they're valued for their contribution to a more sustainable future. I think that that right there is is really what needs to happen is really change that way that the global citizens are are seeing this as a did you say seven-time Ironman athlete 
That is correct. Wow. As a seven-time Ironman athlete and founder, you have a unique set of experience and skills. And I'm really focused on how athletes can use their platform and the power of sport to scale social and environmental impact. Just like you said, how do you make it more mainstream? How do you make it more obvious and more simple to get involved and take that first step? With your unique background, how do you think athletes in sport can bring fans, sponsors, other athletes, and large organizations that they're a part of to get involved and take action? Well, I think, you know, you've got your your cause, your impact, right? Like what we did, illuminating the power of food to restore our health and the climate. It's about setting climate restoration goals, you know, giving um, those fans, that audience, the opportunity to reverse global warming and also micronutrient deficiencies by what we eat. So it's very different way of looking at things where it's like, how are we moving into a clean energy economy? Like, you know, saying food is rising as one of those most powerful levers or really the most powerful lever in reversing global warming, but doing it in a way that like people can understand. So when I look at the fact that people feel powerless, you know, to do anything about global warming, I think it's high time to help people realize and seize their full power in that potential solution to heal ourselves and the planet. So how that can be done is really what we choose to eat. And that includes all of us. So if we know that food is produced, what it is consumed and how much is lost or wasted all heavily shape the health of people on the planet, I think that it's just one of those system changes, right? And I think that if you can look at the current system more efficiently, we can feed the world's population today and tomorrow. So I think the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to solving the puzzle of food loss and waste is really working to be able to educate. And I think that that's what athletes, they have that audience that wants to do more. They just don't know where, they don't have a clear idea of where to start. Yes, and that's one thing that took me so long to figure out where to start, what issues are important, but then also, you can't know it all yourself. You know, no one's going to solve climate change or these big problems by yourself. So focusing on the areas that you're most passionate about and then taking the time and effort to get educated on those areas and just get started. Because that's the thing that can be so intimidating is you focus on your craft and sport and you may not ha have a PhD or master's. So it can be a little intimidating to take that first step, but the platform and the way that athletes are able to directly communicate with their fans and audiences via social is unrivaled and I think relatively untapped. So I'm, yeah, I'm pretty optimistic. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think that there's social capital there. I think people are sick of seeing pictures where there's not a lot to say behind them. And I think that there could be so much more that you could show from a local standpoint where it's like, okay, this is what I'm doing on a local Yes. Um, around the impact that I want to do. Then it's a matter of kind of teaching people that like, okay, you've said that you want to do something around this local, but can you imagine what this could do then from a national and a global standpoint? And yeah. then just educating people on like that impact, because that's just something that I think they don't understand that it can be right here out your front door, but then you can connect the dots to then how it has impact from a national and global standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Getting making that impact in those actions straightforward and giving the opportunity or an on-ramp for people to get engaged, but then also making it tangible and local where they can actually go out, take an action themselves and see the positive outcome. How do you think about change? Obviously, it's a big topic. How do we get to real systemic or societal change? 
seems like there's some interaction between individual actions at the local level, community and collective action, and the role of business in large organizations. Where do you think the interplay is? Well, I think that when you're looking at what's happening today, where we're electing pro-climate leaders, and like I said before, moving to a clean energy economy, I think that it's just a matter of us all working together and trying to figure out what our goal is. You know, for us, it's creating that massive demand for upcycled food that will restore soil, climate, and health and accelerating systems change, right? So we look at it as, how do we track the carbon footprint and sustainability of our supply chain and also the health of our ecosystems that provide our ingredients and then also the health of our employees and consumers throughout that process? So, you know, when you look at the fact that when we fly as an athlete, right, you have to fly to compete in these different national or international competitions, you know, we're trying to offset our carbon footprint. So we're buying trees in the Amazon, we're doing things in the mangroves, but we're not seeing it for ourselves. We don't know what that impact is, but we know we have to offset, right? So I'm looking at it from the standpoint of, well, why wouldn't it be good, like with our goal of saving millions of pieces of produce, to be able to tell people like, listen, every time you're buying your food, how that offsets what's happening in your life. I think that's so important. And so we definitely want to give people the opportunity that they can track for their own health how many fruits and vegetables servings they're getting through eating our candy because they're going to eat it. I mean, we know just knowing that $12 billion a year just in the U.S. alone is spent on candy um, and it makes people happy, right? But how great is it to be at the end of the year to be like, well, I saved hundreds of beets and hundreds of thousands of carrots or whatever it may be because you purchased something. And I think you can do that across the board with consumer products. It's just a matter of being mindful of which companies you're buying from. And that's why whenever I'm looking at things, I go look on the site like Kind Human has, where I buy products because Kind Human already looked at it. Or EWG with the Environmental Working Group, I can see the rating and say, okay, that's why I'm buying that product. So I think as more and more companies look at seed to market and tracking their carbon footprint, that's going to be super important. Absolutely. And you mentioned knowing the transparency and knowing if brands are really taking those actions and working with non-biased certifications, or if it's more of just marketing and greenwashing. I know you're just getting started, but are there any certifications you're looking at down the line for faves and Pure Plus? Well, I think that, you know, when you're looking at candy, it's hard because I mean, there's so many healthy snacks on the shelves, right? And I'm sure everybody listening is like, Oh my gosh, there's 80,000. I mean, did you know that there's 80,000 in a traditional grocery store of products? Like how in the world would we all choose, right? Yes. And I see all these certifications, all these green dots, gluten-free, non-GMO, like just so much data. And of course, we're all these healthy things, but paying for those certifications get really costly. I mean, especially when we're upcycling, like most of our carrots are organic. Most of some of our root vegetables are organic, but we're also getting conventional from really good farms, right? But we can't put organic on our label because it's costly and also because we're trying to upcycle as many of our, our fruits and vegetables as we can. So I think looking too far into those certifications, but getting the right ones, right? Working with organizations that, that make sense, that are more focused on giving back and impact, right? You know, getting involved with Upcycled Food Association, you know, those type of certifications, just so people know that 
you're not doing it for just profit, but it's people and planet too. That's what gets us excited is knowing that we're down the road of becoming a, a B certified company. Yeah, like that, that makes more sense to me than picking out specific ingredients, but knowing that everything that we put in is quality assured. So time for the quick hitters. These are a few wrap up questions. Some can be uh, a little bit longer, no need to be short. And if none of them land, no problem. What is yeah. your go-to spot again to nature? Anywhere near water. <laughs> I have to say, as a triathlete, like you start your sport with the water. They used to ask me actually why of the three sports they started with the water, with the swim. And I said, well, you probably don't, you know, at the end of a 140 mile race, want people in the water. <laughs> so I'd say, you know, for me, living near the Pacific Ocean, Hermosa Beach, so calming, so amazing. Love the environment. Love that that is the home of where I train. And very similar to you as a beach volleyball player, it's something that that is like my home. So taking care of it and making sure that we do the best for it is is really important to me. Where do you get your information? Are there any magazines, websites, or authors you read regularly? Any podcasts or newsletters that you subscribe to? Oh, I mean, I'm a big reader. Uh, my 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 parents used to say that that was that was my thing. You know, I was introverted in that way. Um, that I just wanted as much information. And there's so many places to go nowadays. Yeah. You know, from Grist, EcoWatch, BBC Earth, Union of Concerned Scientists, Green Biz. Even the New York Times has a green section. Mother Jones, Inside Climate News, Climate and Capital is a new one that's just like a newsletter of Food Tank. They were out <laughs> of the COP26. Refed is all focused on upcycled foods. And then I have to say Future Party, if you haven't heard of that one, they've got some really cool things around like entrepreneurs, like TechCrunch, but they take it to the level of social media and like what's happening around engagement, which I think is really interesting too. All right. I've been asking this question for a little while and that was by far the most in-depth uh, <laughs> response. So I'm definitely adding a few of those to my list. Uh, is there a book you'd recommend to someone just starting to get interested about impact? Well, you and I have talked a lot about Paul Hawken. So yes. obviously, I mean, that started our whole company was Drawdown. And I remember talking to Paul about it. And he thought it was pretty cool that we just like were in the Arctic Circle reading his book on the plane from Oslo, Norway, and and then decided to drop everything and start a company because of it. But I think that was a big inspiration. And then it's really just, you know, the startup type books, right? Like mm -hmm. Peter Thiel wrote Zero to One or Lean Startup by Eric Ries. I mean, I think... Like you can literally get your Harvard MBA or, you know, whatever, you know, school by just reading some of these entrepreneurial books. And that was a big thing for me. Like, you know, why spend the money on an MBA when you can get it from reading all these amazing entrepreneurs that are writing books to be like, here's how I did it. Here's how I would have done it if I knew that back then. Right. So you're hearing all the things you need to, like from a mentor standpoint, that that's huge. Definitely. And just to touch on that too, you mentioned doing the work yourself. And there's also something to be said for taking the risk and going out on your own and learning through experience, which you're absolutely doing right now. Oh yeah. I mean, my, my parents got kicked out of me. I was in uh, Washington DC when I was really young uh, during college. And, and I remember telling, I was like, I'm learning so much on the beltway bubble being in Washington. Like I don't even need to go to college. And they're like, <laughs> no, no. You will definitely be happy to have that college diploma. 
Um, but we can see, you know, by you working with these elected officials, like how exciting it is. There's so much information you're learning by being inside that political world. What are you most curious about right now? Are there any questions you keep coming back to? Well, as you can see, I, I'm a very curious person. <laughs> That's why I read so much, right? I think probably for me, it's all about um, clean tech. I, I think I find myself reading a ton about technology, especially tracking our supply chain from seed to market. Mm -hmm. So the idea of that carbon offset every time you make a purchase, what that means for climate candy, any other sustainable focus item. I'm trying to figure out what that means. Um, and I think also I've always been curious around social media and why people post what they do. And I want to get to the point where, um, like Andrew Yang talked about in his book, like how to get to the point where it's social capital. So people are posting things of what they're doing that's better for their community. And then they're getting social capital by doing that rather than taking a picture of what they had for lunch today, right? Yeah. So that then teaches other people that, wow, he was doing that for um, Heal the Bay or for surf riders. And that's amazing what they're doing for the beach or for the ocean. I'd like to see more of that come across and then educate and get a community around that. Amen to that. True experts can explain complex ideas without jargon to kids and the best athletes can repeat the basic skills over and over consistently. What skills or fundamentals have you found most important to really understand and be effective in your work with faves? Basic skills over and over again. I'm trying to think of like what I would use. Because I, I think I look at the fact that there's so much complexity around climate change. We've made it that way, right? Mm -hmm. If you look at Al Gore and the inconvenient truths from over 10 years ago, there is no way you'd win awards today on a slideshow right? A slideshow <laughs> documentary film, right? Because it was so high level. And it's the same as all the government speak that I saw when we were working on things with the United Nations, the World Bank in Washington. It's just not at the level of a consumer, of a regular person. And so I think that what I finally got to was I had worked in politics, I had worked in government, I'd worked with corporates and nonprofits. And I thought if you could bring all three of those together, then you could make global citizens of the world understand something. So I think for me, the skill set didn't come along until I was involved with Live Earth. I was involved with Kevin Wall, my co-founder, and Sue Smalley, and, and the whole Live Earth family, which includes Vice President Al Gore. And you're dealing with the Paris Climate Change Treaty. Now, how in the world would anybody be able to feel like they're involved with 193 countries of the United Nations going to the UNFCCC? Like even all these acronyms sound crazy, right? Yeah. But what we did was we just made sure people understood that they could take climate action now. It was four words. And we made sure that when Al and Leonardo DiCaprio and all these other celebrities went before the, the UNFCCC and all those world leaders, and when they signed that Paris Climate Change Treaty, that they understood that people were behind that and that people were doing their things locally and understood what they could do from a local standpoint. And that then that came into a big picture of what government and corporate and nonprofit could all do together. And so I think that's the big thing is how do you be effective is to understand that there's these connects. So take what you're doing and know that there can be a nonprofit and a for-profit in a government way of doing it. And then how does that make it all work in collaboration? 
Is there something you wish you knew sooner in your career? Or if you had to start over in your career, what would you do differently? I don't think that anybody should start over in their career. I think it's almost to the point where you just learn so much, you know, from everybody you meet along the way that every day I feel like I meet someone new. And then by meeting that person and listening to them and going on a listening tour, I become a different person every day. And so I love that about kind of the the education of the world, whether it be a book or a person or a podcast like this. I think knowing something sooner, especially with faves, I think I would have wanted to learn more about supply chain management. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some people out there that have Six Sigma black belts in supply chain, which is crazy to even think about. I don't even know what that means still, but uh, it's so important to, to understand today. And I think understanding systems change. It's so key that even small things you do, how that can transform a system, even something along the lines of food systems. So um, yeah, I don't think I'd ever go back. I think it's fine that I started off in politics at a young age and and then went into nonprofit and impact work and family foundations and influencer work and and then into to this kind of corporate for-profit type work, but more focused on impact. I think each of those things led to where I am today. And I think for everybody, they say you're going to have seven careers in your life. So, so go for it. Well, going off that, every time I end up talking to you, I feel like I come away with some new idea, some organization to look into, some new introduction from you to people you've worked with. So I definitely feel like from this conversation and all of our other ones that I leave energized and ready to go take some action myself. Uh, final question. What is a strong first step or action someone can take to have a positive social or environmental impact in their life or community? Well, I mean, just going off of like what I'm doing, I think that if people can just look at the brands and products that they're currently connected to, right? I love the idea that people today are, are looking at products and saying, okay, does this product solve a need? Or it, does it commit to fix a cause? Or does it fuel movements to bring a community together? I think that's, that's so, so important. I think for us, we believe food is your medicine. You know, our country is overfed and undernourished and calorie rich and nutrient poor. So if I can look at the fact that right now, 870 million people in the world are undernourished, that is crazy stat. And of that, nine out of 10 Americans aren't eating enough whole foods. So if you want to do a positive social or environmental impact in your own life, I think it's more looking at, at food being this defining issue and understanding that if we all work together, it can unlock its potential that will catalyze the achievement of things that are bigger than us, like the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals or the Paris Climate Change Agreement. These are all very big, big things to think about, but we can make it into small bites that make sense for us. Beautiful. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap up. Thank you again for coming on, Amy. Really enjoyed speaking with you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.